Hey, product people. Welcome to the Product to Profit podcast. We're pulling back the curtain on what it's really like to scale a product-based business profitably and getting into the mindset of a seasoned buyer. I'm your coach, Kristen Fisher, a former corporate retail buyer with over 15 years of experience working for some major brands that you would definitely know, turned six-figure e-commerce store owner of my own gifting brand, Boku, and a retail strategy coach for product-based business owners just like yourself. Inside this podcast, I have honest conversations about what's going on inside of my own business. And I'm also sharing insights to help you get inside the mindset of a buyer to start applying big retail strategies to your own small retail business. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so honored today. I have Lorianne Kuntz here with me. She is the host of the Profit Priority Podcast and the owner and CEO of Lorianne Kuntz LLC, a boutique accounting and fractional CFO firm helping creatives go from unsure to unstoppable when thinking about their finances. She has over eight years of experience in accounting and small business finance. And we're going to be talking today about understanding your finances and feeling really confident with your numbers as a product-based business owner to help you drive more profit in your business. So clearly we both love profit conversations. I'm super, super excited. So let's dive in. Lori Ann, I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the show with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about the conversation today. It's something that is so important. And like you said, is we're both very passionate about profit. Um, And so that's probably where it's going to be based on. I know. So Lorianne and I have known each other for almost a year now, maybe not quite. And we've just had different conversations about profit. And when we, when we first met, we did not have our own podcast. So we've now both launched podcasts and we come at it from, you know, different sides. And so I think it's going to be really fun. I had the honor of being on your podcast a couple months ago. So I'm so happy that you're here. I feel like this is going to be, I don't actually know where this combo is going to go. So I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> Can you please just share a little bit about your background and your business and how you kind of got to where you're at? Yeah. Um, good question. It's funny. Whenever people ask me that, I'm like, I don't really know. I feel like numbers and business and finances is like in my blood. <laughs> like it's just who I am. Um, but I grew up in a very like entrepreneurial family. Like my dad always had businesses and I was involved in that and those type of conversations around like the dinner table from like a very young age. And I never, I didn't really think I was going to be like a business owner. That wasn't really who I like just envisioned my future or what my future would entail. But I knew it was going to be something with numbers. Um, I would say probably from like 10 to 12 on. I always love numbers. So obviously, what you, what do you do if you love numbers? Start looking into what you can do with numbers. And then also by seeing like my dad and his companies, obviously finances and understanding your finances and growing and seeing what you can do with that um, is a big conversation around whenever you're trying to grow your business. So I saw that from a young age that you got to prioritize your numbers, prioritize understanding your numbers. Um, and so I decided to do the typical thing, go down that accounting path, become a tax account, become a CPA. So I started going down that path. And I, whenever I was started my job um, at a local tax firm, I quickly realized, yeah, this is not for me. 
Um, I don't like, I didn't like the fact that I would only see, um, clients or see tax clients come in once a year or twice a year. And then we would just send them out the door and they would be completely confused, um, and not sure what to do. And I would be working. I mean, obviously I was an entry level, like a staff accountant there. And I was doing a lot of like payroll stuff and admin stuff. And I would do like cleanups here and there and clean up some books and doing like kind of like bookkeeping stuff. And I was just shocked at how people could run their business so blindly throughout the year. Um, and then at the end of the tax year, then they would like come in and owe a bunch of taxes or they don't know where they're at at all. So I decided to leave there. I went back and worked for my dad for a few years, um, part-time. That was about the time that I had my first daughter. She's three and a half now. And then I started getting clients on the side and I stumbled in the online space and then I stumbled in the creative online space. And obviously I work with a lot of creatives and numbers can be a hard and touchy subject with creatives. And I get that. Like, I understand it's scary. It's something that like, you might not be wanting to listen to this podcast right now, um, because it's just a numbers podcast. Um, but I, my mission is to make it easy and understandable and simple for you to be able to know what's going on in your business so that you can increase your profit, grow your business, live the life that you want. Um, based off of what the numbers are telling me. I love that. I love when you're saying I stumbled into this and then I stumbled into that. I feel like that's everybody's business journey in some way, shape or another. It's like you think you're going to do one thing and then something else just happens and it evolves. And if you're open to allowing, you know, your path to change, like if you're open to change, really cool things can come of it. So you've like niched down essentially to focus on creatives. And you're right. That is a side that is part of the business that is so important. But I think creative people, and if you're a product-based business owner or a maker, I define you as a creative person as well, because you might not be, you might not be actually designing something, but you still have that creative eye. And so I feel like it's amazing that you are helping people not feel a stigma around numbers essentially. Yeah. And I think too, I work with a lot of female entrepreneurs and I was just talking with, I had a discovery call this morning with somebody and she was saying kind of how she feels like just society in general doesn't have women really up there and educated around finances. So I think it's something that everybody needs to be able to, and especially female entrepreneurs need to be able to understand their numbers. Um, but just in general, as a whole, I think at least in like my generation, there is a missing connection inside of the educational system that from little up, they don't educate people. Like you don't learn how to file your taxes inside of high school, like in high school. And you should, as soon as you get out of high school, you're probably going to have a part-time job um, at some point, some capacity, go to college maybe. And um, you're probably going to have some type of part-time job that you're going to have to file your taxes. Well, they don't know how to do it because they weren't taught how to do it. Not just taxes, but budgeting as well. So learning how to handle and manage finances is a huge thing that like people in general are not taught about. I was very lucky and blessed to have parents to teach me about that, but not everybody has that. And so if you're coming from a place that numbers scare you, you don't know where to start, like it's okay. And it's totally fine. It's totally normal. And realize like there is things out there and education out there that you can learn. There's so many free resources online that you can learn how to 
manage money and handle money. And it's a continuing process. Everyone is always learning how to handle money. I, you know what? I think that I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole on this, but you touched on something that I'm really passionate about. And that is just feeling like, I guess, from a societal perspective, women weren't even allowed to have their own credit cards without a husband's signature until early in the 1960s. I don't know the exact date, but that is wild to think about. Like in my own mother's lifetime, you know, in our, in the, the women that are in our lives, the, you know, older generation, they were not even allowed to have a credit card. So yes, we have made strides, but there is still this generational kind of conditioning that women, you know, even if you look back to like commercials and things from the 70s, 80s, even the 90s, there we've been conditioned to think that we aren't supposed to feel confident with numbers. And whether we think that right now or not, it still has just been in the educational system. It's maybe how you were raised, even if it wasn't intentional. And so there's a lot of undoing that has to happen. So I'm curious from your perspective, if there are any like resources, if someone is just super overwhelmed by numbers and kind of like needs a 101, are there some, is there a book or obviously there's your podcast, but are there any resources that you're just like, this is the must have, like read this book or check out this blog or whatever? Yeah. I think it depends on if you're talking about personal finances, if you're talking about business finances, there's so many different methods and ways that you can manage money. So that's one thing. I don't have anything in particular, like specifically that I would say like, this is the one thing go all like you need to follow this person because I am one that everyone manages money different. And I see this with my clients. I have certain clients that are do better handling money this way. And I have certain clients that do better handling money this way. And I try to position myself as like, okay, let's find the best way that we can do to handle money. So in the business space, a lot of people are familiar with profit first. So profit first method, Mike goes into in his book, all these different ways that you can do certain percentages here and certain percentages there of your income and the sales that you make. And personally, I'm just like, that just seems like too much of a headache for me. I have my own simplified system that I do and it manage money. But then I also have clients that are like, Profit first is great. And I have other clients that are like, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to do any type of thing close to profit first. My best advice would be to go and look and just do research and listen to podcasts and listen to books. Like listen to profit first, take what you can from it. If it gets a little bit too much, like go listen to another book, go listen to um, different podcasts, talk to people, message people on DMs. Like don't be scared to reach out to somebody and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Um, listen to conversations like this right here that we are having. Um, don't be somebody that's like sees a money conversation and just runs the opposite direction. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you said something that was really interesting and it's, I think that it's a really good point to talk a little bit more about it. It's just like, what are ways that you naturally manage your own money? Like what, how do you manage money in your own day-to-day life? It's probably similar to how you should apply like those methodologies to your own business in terms of how you understand money or feel confident with money. Because if you're trying to learn this brand new way of managing money for your business, but you function in your life in a totally different way, it probably isn't going to match up. If you're, if it's not natural or doesn't feel natural, you're all, you're automatically going to feel insecure with where your money's at or how much profit you 
you've made in your business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You don't want to throw in something that's completely new and like trying to figure that out whenever you have so many other things to figure out in your business. I mean, like starting and running a business is like just a lot. It feels like you continually get hit by a truck just with all the things you have to do. And my point is like, you don't need to make things complicated. You can have very simple system on how to handle your money and your finances and how to budget and project and things like that. It can be very simple. Don't make things complicated if they don't need to be. Now on the other side of things though, uh, I have seen people, Kristen, you were saying kind of shape it with how you're managing your personal finances. I have seen people come to me and they're like not managing their personal finances super well. So you got to kind of like look at that and be like, okay, well, if it's not working out super well here, then maybe I should do the opposite. So like not always do what feels good and like put yourself in uncomfortable positions whenever thinking about finances because you want to learn and grow. So there's kind of like two sides of the conversation there. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I mean, it's funny because I I don't have a lot of money management conversations with clients because that's not like my area of expertise is not bookkeeping and finance. And so for me, you know, managing my own finances, I'm like, yeah, of course people are doing that, but it totally makes sense. I think if you if it's not something you are doing outside of your business, then there's a bigger conversation and it can be addressed. Like you can learn how to do it. It's not something that you can't learn how to do or find resources for. So I'm curious from your perspective, if you're, if your books are super out of control and then you're the type of person that just like updates them at tax season and you're like, okay, this is the best I can do. And you just shove it off to the accountant that's filing your taxes. And then you wait until next January, February to freak out. Are there some tips on how to just incorporate money best practices in either your day to day or monthly or quarterly, just like touch points um, so that it can feel a little less overwhelming at the end of the year? Yeah. I first want to touch on why we shouldn't wait to the end of the year and shove it to your accountant. Um, And then we can talk about best practices of how to do it and keep up with your own books. For one, obviously you touched on it. We don't want to be stressed out and freaked out and not sure like what's going on. Just like all of a sudden you're trying to cram everything, trying to remember what you bought this for last year up in like February. I can't remember when I bought a Target last month, last week. So like things like that, like you can't remember you're missing out on deductions. Most likely you're probably giving your accountant inaccurate information. Um, so that means your taxes are inaccurate. You could be paying more in taxes than what you need to be. If you give all of your bank statements, your QuickBooks online account to your accountant, I would say nine times out of 10, they are just cramming stuff together to knock out your tax return. And that's not informative to you at all. All they are doing is getting the information they need to file the tax return. And I have seen it done to where they are actually reporting false information because they are like just cramming it in so fast because they have so many tax returns to knock out. And they're not there to specialize in bookkeeping. They're there to specialize in filing your taxes, make sure your taxes are done right not necessarily to ensure every penny is documented properly. So to ensure the accuracy of your tax return, not to be stressed out, and then also to be able to grow your business and continue to see the changes that need to be made throughout the year, you need to be up to date with your bookkeeping. The information that people miss out on is crazy to me because if they are not looking at their numbers every couple of weeks, every month, every six months, comparing them from the prior period, whatever you're looking at, like the, the insight is just 
phenomenal because there's so many things. And if we're talking specifically to product-based businesses or um, people that are making something or just selling a product, you want to keep track of that. You want to keep track of your different sales outlets. You want to keep track of what type of product is pushing more and moving more and coming in and out. You want to keep track of your cost of goods sold, how much your direct costs were. You want to see that reported on your profit and loss uh, statement on the month that you actually sold the profit, not on the prof- on the month that you spent all of the money to buy inventory. Like that's a whole other conversation is keeping track of inventory and reporting it properly inside of your books. Um, but you want to see how it directly affects to the sales that were made that month. And then that gives you the insight to continue to grow your business. So as far as doing it and keeping up with it monthly or on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, I think the biggest type of advice or biggest advice piece of advice I would give you is make sure whatever bookkeeping system you're using is you understand it. If you're going to do it yourself, make sure you understand it and it's simple for you and you're not going to get confused on it. I will say QuickBooks Online can be a little bit confusing. Um, any accounting software can be a little bit confusing if you don't have an accounting background. So if you're going to be using an accounting software, then I highly recommend having someone show you how to use it and help you set it up. And then if you have a spreadsheet or you can buy spreadsheets for product-based businesses, that is also a really good way that you can simply do your bookkeeping. Um, so find something that's very simple for you to do and that you can keep up on. And then put in your calendar, like make a meeting with yourself to actually do your finances and sit down and do your bookkeeping, whether it's every other week, every month, I would say no less than every uh, every month because you definitely want to be able to see that on a month to month, month, month basis. But just put it in there. You can go to a coffee shop, make it fun. Like it doesn't have to be boring. And I promise you it's Probably if you just sit down and do it, it's probably not going to take that long. Yeah, it's going to take so much less time to do it month to month whenever, like you said, it's fresh on your mind. And I also like to make notes when I'm doing that of what happened in my business, not just looking at the numbers and saying, okay, I have room for, you know, to invest a little bit more here or I should pull back on this, but literally writing down, okay, I had a sale May week one, I had a Mother's Day sale or I had an influencer post or, you know, if what like happened in your business that was noteworthy, because that helps whenever you're planning for that same time period next year. Or if you find you're really down next year, you can look back and say, oh, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't comp this influencer or whatever it may be that made your business spike. Like, I think it's good to have that monthly hindsight, but now I'm I'm feeling like I need to be doing this every two weeks. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, we do all of our month, like our bookkeeping clients, the majority of them we do on every month. So I would say every month is great. It kind of just depends on what, where you're at in your business and what season you are in. My CFO clients, it was every two weeks. We would do by my monthly, by weekly, we would do it by weekly. And we decided to move them to every week. So we go in and update their finances every week. Um, we don't send them like a finalized report, but it all it goes to like a dashboard to where they can see their finances every single week. And it just, like I said, it just kind of depends on where you're at in your business and what you're pushing towards and working towards. And it, you might not have to have it every week, but also I do know people that would rather sit down for 30 minutes every week and get their stuff done instead of sitting down for two hours at the end of the month. So it kind of just depends on your time schedule too. I mean, in at the bare minimum weekly, you should be looking at what's performing in your business and your sales, like top line. So that you just understand that piece of it. And if you can layer in 
the bookkeeping piece. I guess I'm going to make that a goal for myself um, because I hate, I hate truthfully, I love you, but I hate bookkeeping. I hate sitting down and doing that, (laughs) but I like to understand what's going on in my business. So I know it's important, but weekly I'm looking at my sales and what styles performed and it's what it's in corporate retail. They're the entire day on Monday is spent looking at the finances and looking at the product and where your inventory clogs are. So you should understand what's going on in your business so you can make real-time decisions that are going to drive more profit in your business because you have an educated decision-making tool in front of you with your numbers. Yeah. You're not operating on how you feel about your business. I think that's the biggest thing too, is that a lot of people will operate and make decisions and base decisions based off of how they're feeling they're performing or how they just feel. And I'm sorry, but like as women, like we go through so many different feelings in just one month. Like I know like in my certain phases, my like just my cycle, sorry for any guys who's listening. Like, I just feel like crap about my business. I'm just like, my business sucks. Like I'm doing horrible, like blah, blah, blah. Burn it down. I'm done. This week, I am gung-ho, like, let's do this. You would have asked me last Tuesday. I, nope, not, not a chance. I just want to go do my own thing. Well, like when you're, yeah, when you're ovulating and you're full of all these creative ideas and if you're a brand and you're, or a maker and you're just like, ah, I have all these ideas for this new line and you design 15 new earrings and then you all of a sudden want to buy them. It's like, no, 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 you can design them, but pause (laughs) and wait a little bit. Yeah. So it's, it's something that like, you just can't go off of feelings in the business and you can't go off of just the number based on your bank account, because that's a whole nother thing, especially for my product based businesses. Like that is a huge, a huge thing. Okay. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. We love to go like into the nitty gritty, but I think that that is it's really important to have a conversation on how bookkeeping is more complicated for product-based businesses because of the inventory and the cost of goods sold component. And I'm just curious, you know, how you recommend product-based businesses track their inventory or plan for that if they're not following profit first. Like what are just some recommendations you have from your experience with managing product businesses? Um, at least for their books. I'm not sure if you did CFO work with them too, but just curious. Yeah. So, so products businesses, it's, it's tricky because like you said, you have inventory, you have cost of goods, you have large amounts of cash going out at one point that you have to prepare for. And because of that, you need to have your books up to date and accurate because if you get in a pitch and you need to buy inventory, and might have to take out like a loan or like a um, line of credit to get that inventory in. I don't recommend that. I mean, ideally we don't, we run our businesses off of like just cash flow. but in order to get line of credits, in order to get loans for inventory, you're going to need to show your finances. And if you don't have them up to date, you're not going to be able to get that loan. You won't be able to get that inventory. So you got to be able to think of things, but the the goal is to kind of project out and be like, okay, when am I buying inventory? When are things coming in and going out? And to kind of plan around that. Um, so if you buy inventory like every six months or something, then be like, okay, well, I'm projecting we'll be buying this much inventory and just start setting aside a little bit of money every single month. And then kind of that way you have that cash pile and just plan for it. Like that's the biggest thing is plan for it, budget for it, for the large amounts going out. And then if you do need to like utilize an operating loan, that's like fine too, as long as you 
have it in the plan. Um, and you're not just like having a ton of loans on top of each other, um, which is very, it's very interesting because you can get in a very bad habit of just using loans and credit cards to buy inventory. And I wouldn't say that's because I've seen it. I've dealt with a pretty large e-commerce company and they were pushing about four to five million of sales a year. So they were moving quite a bit. I mean, not like huge, but they were that's quite a bit of product that you're moving and pushing. Um, and they were running a negative and they had a ton of life, like debt. And so like you could be pushing a ton of sales and making nothing because you're just like the way that you're managing things. But back to Barr's inventory and recording it. So inside of like Shopify, inside of like Square, inside of a lot of those systems, like you can manage inventory, you can keep track of it. So as far as like you and like you as a business owner goes, like Kristen, you probably want to know your inventory, how much of each item you have. As a bookkeeper, I want to know how much, how many dollars you have in each item. So like, I want to know how much money you have put out in each item. So when you buy inventory or you buy, I don't know, give me an example. You buy candles. Okay. So you buy a hundred candles. That amount, when it leaves your bank account, will get categorized to inventory. That is not inventory. It's an asset that you have, and it's listed of how much you spend it for. A lot of times I see people list that directly to cost of goods sold. Well, then it makes your profit be in the negative for that month, which that's not really true because you still have that product. You haven't sold it. And that's something that you have on hand. So that's an asset. That's an inventory asset. And that goes on what's called a balance sheet. Then when you make the sale of items or products or whatever it is you're selling, you count your inventory at the end of the month and like financial terms. So how much money you have in inventory and you move over the difference from inventory assets to cost of goods. So that way on your profit and loss, it directly reflects the sales that come in this month. So it has the sales that came in and this is the cost of goods sold of those sales. This was the direct cost that I paid for the products that I sold that month. And then that way, every single month is more consistent and you don't see big months and low months on your like net profit, your bottom line profit and your like cost of goods sold because you want to see it kind of how it reflects on your different sale levels. Oh, that was a perfect way of describing that. I think, I think everybody that's listening to this probably experiences this pain point the most prepping for Q4 because in, well, whenever you're buying it, whether if you're a maker or a retailer, it's different times, but you are expending so much money in your inventory investment and you have to do it early enough so that you can photograph it and have everything ready to go. And then it's just sitting there for like two months, (laughs) sometimes not really doing much and then boom, you blow out of it. And it's like, you have these really big highs and lows. So you described that really perfectly. So that was a great, I'm like, I need a little graph visual example for everybody. Yeah. And it's something that it, it takes time. It takes um, time to go in and do inventory count and make sure everything's up to date. Um, we just onboarded a new salon that they're out in California and they sell like hair products and like, well, I think the inventory is going to be okay. Well, this is, this is the thing that you're going to be working on because we need to have this inventory counted, not just counted in like how many bottles of shampoo you have, but I need the amount of money that you've spent on those bottles of shampoo. And while you, Christine, might, you might know it, not a lot of 
product-based business owners. They don't. They just have the number of items that they have on the shelf. So we have to, in order for us to do our books, like, or to do their books right, we have to have that number. And then we do a back-end journal entry to move it from inventory over to cost of goods sold. So you can see that directly reflected on the profit and loss. I know it, but I also sometimes I'm like not really confident with it. If things get really busy and I get backed up, it's like, I, you should know it off the top of your head. And sometimes I don't. And I even sometimes will feel insecure if I'm like right in this exact moment, I couldn't give you that number, but I know how to figure it out. But what if you didn't know how to figure out? It's really overwhelming. And so if you're not at a point where you can hire a bookkeeper, or actually, let me rephrase this. How do you know at what point you are ready to hire a bookkeeper? That's probably more the question that I want to ask. Everybody's ready for it. Like everyone, okay, not everyone. Someone might like look to their finances, but I would say most of the time, my clients, the people I'm talking to, probably the people on this podcast that's listening right now would love to have a bookkeeper do the books for them. And they just would rather just like leave it alone, not deal with it. But then you have to look at the fruiting aspect of things. And it does cost more to have a bookkeeper on your team and to outsource to a bookkeeper um, when you are like dealing with products because it does take more time and energy to do the bookkeeping. So that gets factored in the cost. So I'm really big. Like if you can't afford it, I'm not going to push something on you. And neither should any other bookkeeper push you into a monthly bookkeeping service if you can't afford it. Like I'm not going to just have you on as a client and then you just continue to run yourself in the red. Like that's not the goal of mine. And that's not what us as bookkeepers should be doing. But I would say when you, I kind of ask my clients, like, one, do you understand the books? Do you understand your finances? Do you understand how to do it? Do you like doing it? Do you want to do it? Do you have the time to do it? And are you in this for the long haul? Like how long are you in this? Is this like a three-year thing that you want to do on the side? you can do the bookkeeping yourself. If you want this to like grow into a million dollar company someday, then let's talk in about eventually hiring a bookkeeper. It might not be right now. You might not be able to afford it, but let's start moving towards that direction. The other things that you can do is I like, I offer one-on-one strategy sessions. So it's just a one hour financial consult call to where I, you and I hop on a call. We just go over your practices. I give you kind of the takeaways to take away from that call. and you kind of implement those things. If you have questions, we can do another strategy session and do things like that. So there's other ways to work with bookkeepers without having them do the bookkeeping work, a completely different area of business. But I'm currently doing some consulting work in like an excavating company that's like close to where I live. And so like they have an in-house, they're doing their own bookkeeping, but I'm coming in and doing consulting with them. And I'm like, for a few hours here and there, like, hey, this is how you're supposed to be doing it. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And then they're doing the work. So there's different ways you can work with bookkeepers. But if you're just starting out, there's so many spreadsheets online. You can totally do it online on a spreadsheet. Very simple, very easy. QuickBooks and Xero. Again, if you're going to use the software, just make sure you have a little bit of background or are willing to sit down and do a lot of self-learning on how to use that because it can sometimes be a little bit tricky and it can quickly kind of your reports can quickly get messed up. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. It does. I So I don't have a bookkeeper yet. I am very excited for the day that I feel like I can afford that because <laughs> that will be the first thing when I'm like, okay, when I have an excess of profit, <laughs> that will be what I focus on. But I have invested in a bookkeeper to do a similar thing of what you were talking about where it was kind of like a bookkeeping slash 
CFO strategy session. And they just overhauled my QuickBooks and made it easier for me to use by categorizing things in a way. Because, you know, QuickBooks has all these default categories. And if you don't fully understand accounting, then they might not make sense to you. But things like how to categorize inventory as an asset, things like that, they helped me to clean it up. And I found it super helpful to just have that like touch point. So I felt confident that the books were right to start with. And then it helped me to just kind of continue on and then check back in with her. So I think that that's really good advice because you don't have to go at it alone, but you also don't want to spend too much of too much money on something if you're not ready for it. So I think that that's really good advice. Um, are there, are you taking on clients for your strategy sessions now? Is that something that you do for new clients just kind of ongoing? Yeah, it's something that is pretty much all the time rolling around as long as my calendar allows it. But yeah, the strategy sessions are most of the time pretty much open. I don't talk about them a ton, but they are something that I, I love doing them. They're some of my favorite things to do. Well, and it, you're, I feel like you are just, you have a disposition where you feel, I feel like so comfortable with you that I think that numbers are a scary thing. And so like, I would recommend anybody working with you because you're just so lovely. I can just imagine that you'd be so like such a joy. I will be someday. I will hire you. I promise you'll be the first person that I call. Uh, yeah. It's something that it's really, like I was saying at the very beginning, it's my mission. My, like what I want to do and be for my clients is someone that is like, numbers aren't scary. Like this is a safe place to talk about it. A lot of people, even if they're hopping on a discovery call just for monthly bookkeeping services, like, I don't know if I want you to see, like, you're going to see inside my finances. And it's something that like, that is scary. I acknowledge that. Like having someone else look at your finances is scary. You looking at your finances is scary. I mean, I'm a numbers person. I'm a bookkeeper. And sometimes I'm, I shock myself whenever I look at my finances. <laughs> So like there's certain times that I mean, especially right now, we're doing like really big house renovation. And I'm just like, if I sit down and look at stuff, I'm like kind of freaking out. <laughs> so you're not alone. And I'm here to like kind of talk through and make it easy and in English terms. Like that's all that I like ask of any accountant of bookkeepers, please just like talk to your clients in English speaking terms so that they can understand you. Yeah. Because it makes your life easier. If you have a client that understands their books and the more you work together, they get more confident with it. So it comes to you and you're able to give more like a strategy perspective versus a cleanup mode, <laughs> you know? So I'd love to know, okay, after all of that, like what on this journey that you've been on, on your business, is there something that stands out to you in your business, like a challenge or a mistake that you made that ended up turning into a lesson, whether that's like a financial thing or just whether you invested in something or you just took the wrong path, but like it ended up helping you grow. I'm curious if there's anything like that in your, in your journey. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't really look at it just in life in general as there's ever any failures or there's ever any mistakes because everything that we go through and everything that um, we experience in life is there to teach us a lesson and we can take good out of it no matter how bad it is. Um, there's good to see out of anything. There's lessons to learn out of anything. So I don't know if there's any, like, I, I don't even, it's hard for me to even look back and be like, oh, that was a huge mistake I made. Um, because that's just not my mindset on it. It's like, okay, great. Like, that's awesome. I wouldn't be where I'm at now if it wasn't for that. I would say one of the, um, 
biggest things that I've learned is that when you're bringing on team, like team members and just growing your team in general, being a leader is very hard. It's a different type of role in your business than just running it by yourself and growing the business by itself. I've had to kind of take a step out of client facing stuff and just take a step into being a leader and being that CEO role. And it's interesting. It it really is. You run into a lot more different types of things and problems than you do in just like whenever you're first starting out by yourself. And I would say just things like bringing on a team member too soon. A lot of times you hear people like, oh, you should hire before you're ready because you're going to get so busy that you're going to out, like whatever. You, you need to hire, you need to outsource. And it kind of drives me crazy. And I, while well, I see their reasoning behind it, because I was kind of in that position and I, I feel like every four months I get kind of in that position where I'm like, we're all like my whole team's super busy. We don't have time to train or whatever. But also if you bring on team members too quickly, you don't have systems in place. You don't have the finances to support them. Then it causes a lot of problems and you don't have the infrastructure internally to be able to give them good job descriptions and be able to lead them. And that way they have a clear position. I think that's probably my biggest thing that I, I don't know if I would ever, I did it like horribly because I feel like I strategically brought on team members, but it's something that I learned as I kept growing. Um, There's been a few that I've tried to bring on too quickly and then it just did not work out. Yeah. No, that's good advice. And I think it's a, it's great to have the perspective of like every, you know, thing that you're experiencing good and bad in your business is making you stronger as a leader and getting you to that next level. Because if you don't have those mistakes, then you're probably doing something wrong. (laughs) You're not pushing yourself. You're not challenging yourself to grow. And I think bringing people on too soon is, is a really something to take very seriously because it's not only, you know, your sanity, but your financial health and also their livelihood. So I think that's really good advice and perspective. (laughs) All right. So tell me, tell everybody how they can find you. Yeah. um, You can go to lauriannkoots.com. That's where all of my stuff is. The podcast is on there. Um, Contact forms on there too. And I'm sure she'll have all everything in the show notes. Um, And then you can go to my Instagram is lauriannkoots.co. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. I am so, this is such a fun conversation. I'm so grateful to you. Yeah, of course. It was good. All right. That's all I've got for you today. I am so glad that you're here. If you are loving the show, I would be beyond grateful if you would just take a minute to rate and review this podcast just to help spread the word. Now there's something in it for you too, as a little thank you. If you leave a review share a screenshot or just share the show to your stories and tag me at product to profit coach on Instagram. You'll be entered to win my new monthly giveaway where you'd win a hot seat coaching call with me. You'd have the option to record it live on this podcast, which not only would be so much fun, but would also give your amazing brand some visibility and you a quick win. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week.